Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Here we are in episode 140 of the Higher Purpose Podcast, and I'll let you in on a secret. I never grow weary of welcoming you to another episode. It truly is a joy and a delight to welcome you here today. I know you have choices of what you listen to, and you choosing to join me here today. Well, that's pretty amazing. I also have no idea when you will listen to this episode. Maybe you'll hear it shortly after its release while we are still navigating our way through the global pandemic that many will recall as the opening act of 2020, both the year and the decade. Or maybe by the time you listen, we've entered a new normal. Right now, we're still making our way through this. I'm thrilled about the conversation we're bringing you today. It's been weeks in the making. It was almost a year ago now when today's guest joined me for the first time. Back in December, when we were reflecting on the year and the podcast, I realized that my podcast conversation with Bob Chapman that was almost a year ago now, it was episode 88, was the most downloaded episode of the podcast in 2019. I began imagining what it would be like to invite Bob back for a follow-up. And now, here we are, reconnecting for a deeper dive and at a most opportune time to explore truly human leadership against the backdrop of the great reset we find ourselves in. I also want to express my gratitude to Bob for joining and for our mutual friend, Jane Adshead Grant, for helping facilitate Bob being here today. Well, Bob Chapman, welcome back to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Thank you for joining us again today. Hopefully something good will come of this that will inspire everyone to embrace the challenges we have with a sense of positive attitude and what we can all do uh, today and tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. So what a providential time for us to have this conversation. And I appreciate you making it a priority. I want to ask you this from the onset, Bob. The last time we talked, I remember you describing yourself as an optimist, which I would say the same about me. How does a crisis of such global proportion and magnitude affect your optimism? Or maybe it's better to ask, how does your optimism equip you to navigate seasons of uncertainty? You know, Kevin, as I said in my book, from our greatest of challenges came our greatest growth. And I would say to you in my worst of times when we lived hour to hour on cash for nine months, not knowing if we'd make it to the next day, I don't ever remember being discouraged. I don't remember being concerned with the future. I remember intensely focused on getting day-to-day in those hours. I don't know where optimism comes from, Kevin. I have always been an eternal optimist. Hmm. And I always have been able to embrace whatever challenges I face with a sense of, I'm going to get through this and we're going to be fine. And I think, don't know this one way or the other. I'm not sure you can be a leader without having your feet on the ground and your head in the clouds. I believe the responsibility of leaders is to give those people in their span of care a grounded sense of hope for a better future, a grounded sense of hope for a better future. That is the key attribute of leadership. People need to feel there's hope. People need to believe their leaders see that path and will lead them towards better future. So I think that's a fundamental responsibility of leadership is, again, that grounded sense of hope for a better future. I love that phrase, Bob. Grounded sense of hope for a better future. 
And we need that now. We need that now. And I wish more leaders were grounded and giving a sense of hope for a better, brighter future. So how do you stay grounded in a time like this when things seek to stir and sway us? I would say to you as a leader, you need to have your head focused on the current and dealing with with the issues you face. But you also need to have your head looking out to the future. As a leader, you've got to have both vision and clarity. You've got to see the situation as it is today and deal with it in a positive way. Mm. At the same time, you can't deal today unless you know where you're going. Because in some contexts, you've got to understand where you're going as you address the issues you face today. And that is our responsibility to challenge people, to inspire people, to recognize people that give us a sense of hope, a sense of coming together. So one of our goals in the worst of times is look for that behavior within our teams is inspiring. When people come together and help each other. In the 0809 crisis, that's one of the things that surprised me the most. The way we dealt with it brought our people together and closer, okay? As opposed to turning on each other in crisis, it actually brought them together in that crisis. Mm. I believe, now, I'm not sure how you become optimistic if you're not. You know, everybody has a lens that has evolved through their life, and I'm not sure what exactly creates that lens through which they see the world. But I was just simply blessed from my childhood with this eternal sense of we can do this, we can do this, we can, whatever issue I think back and I faced, I rose to that and learned from it and made a better future for those of my span of care, whether it's my family, whether it's our company, whether it's our customers. So I think as all of us face this, we need to give those people hope. We need to show that we care. This is a time of compassion and empathy and action. So, Bob, before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. Usually ask at the beginning, but these are unprecedented times, so I've started differently. Besides optimism, which I would agree, I don't know where it came from, but I'm so grateful to be a perpetual optimist and to awake every day knowing this will end, we will get through this, we'll be better for it. What is something you're grateful for in this moment as we connect here? You know, when you ask that question, my mind goes to an act of love that came from my father. We have a family business. At the time, my dad was alive. I have two sisters, and my mother was alive, obviously. And to try to avoid times of conflict in the future that I'd experienced through my public accounting experience with private companies, I suggested that I didn't ever want the company to be a source of conflict, which would really hurt my dad. And he made a decision to give me what I call unearned trust. Mm. He gave me the responsibility for the stewardship of his family. While he was still alive, he wasn't anticipating death. At the time, he he appeared fairly healthy and had two heart attacks earlier in his life. I believe that unearned trust that he gave me, I am incredibly thankful for because it brought me to a level of stewardship of that responsibility that I hadn't proven to him I could do that. He gave me something, and I think of Les Miserables, gentleman stole the cash from the church to have some money to melt the silver, and the police caught him, and he goes back. He take him back to the church, and Rector said, hell, you forgot a few of them. He gave them some more. And that unearned act of love changed that John's life forever because what have you done to me? And so to some extent, I look back on my life's journey and that unearned trust that my dad gave me, that he had no idea the magnitude that that would affect my life. I am mm. profoundly grateful that I had a chance to validate that trust that my dad gave me. And 
people sometimes ask me, what do you think heaven looks like, Bob? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And when first asked me that, I thought about it and I said, you know, from where I sit right now, heaven looks like sitting across the table from my father and saying, you know, dad, you know that trust you gave me? Let me share with you how it's impacted mom and my sisters and kids and your nephews and all those people in your life that you cared for. Let me tell you how I responded to that unearned trust that you gave. And so that I'm profoundly grateful for that gift that I didn't earn when he gave it to me. What a beautiful answer. And I want to go deeper on that in just a moment. But I want to mention there was something else you and I both have experienced that we express gratitude for today before we hit record. And I just want to bring that into the conversation to give people hope. You and I have both heard birds singing. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the challenges we face in this world, when you pause and you listen to the beauty of the world and you see the beauty of the world, it gives you faith that we will get through this challenge. So I would say to you that I am in, you know, when you hear birds singing, when you see the sun setting on the Gulf of Mexico, and you know it will rise again, it gives you this profound sense of the greater world, the greater good that we all are a part of. And I could listen to the dog bark or I could listen to the birds sing. Yeah. Okay. And it just makes me feel like life will go on. We will get through this. People will get hurt and we will try to be compassionate and empathetic, all those who are affected by this. But I think it's a profound sense of this world is an amazing place and we should never forget that in our daily lives as we struggle with the various issues we can face in life. Thank you for sharing that. Now, back to the gift of unearned trust, which I believe is so beautiful. How has that led you to share that with others that have been in your span of influence? Well, Kevin, I refer to it as my span of care. Span of care. There we go. Okay. And I believe that it is my nature, the lens through which I see other people, is I want to believe in the goodness of people. And I think that's what I got from Ronald Reagan. It's a quote I have hanging up in my office. He believed in the goodness of people. And I believe that is the fundamental of trust. Not that we won't occasionally see some people not validate the trust we place in them, but by and large, the vast majority of people, I believe, uh, when extended the opportunity to be trusted, will respond in kind. That is the world I want to believe, and I believe in the way I operate is believe. I start with basically believing in uh, the goodness of other people, and I trust in their goodness. And I believe by trusting them, like my dad did with me, it will rock, it will cause them and bring them to a higher level of response as opposed to rules and regulations because you, know, you just can't trust anybody. We need to all. I choose, and I can't imagine a world otherwise where I believe in the goodness of people and go out of my way to trust in that mm. and not choose to look at the other side of that equation and focus on where people have violated that. So you used a word that I loved, span of care where so many people would speak of span of control, a leader's span of control, you refer to it as span of care. Why? Why that differentiation for you? Kevin, words are really important. In my journey, I have evolved to some words that I find a great deal of comfort in dealing with a broad spectrum of people because, you know, I speak in the military and government and healthcare and education and business. And... I choose not to use the word love in this context because I'm afraid it will exclude some people from joining us in this journey. I find care, you know, because we care for our children. We love our children. We care for our children. We love our neighbor. 
But I just feel the word care is easy for people to walk through the door with me. And I want to reach as many people as I possibly can in the time I'm on this earth. And, you know, it's interesting. I was at some industry conference and I was giving a speech. And afterwards, the CEOs of this industry had this private session with me. And they wanted to introduce themselves to me. And I said, well, that would be wonderful. But would you tell me how many people are in your span of care in your particular role in your organization? So this group of probably 30 people, one by one, and each one, as they said, in my span of care, it was so awkward for them to use those words because you can't even say it without thinking, what does it mean to care? Mm. Okay. And to me, I've seen it used more and more and more now, my of care, not my direct reports, not number of employees, because those are very technical terms. They're not human terms. They're tech. You know, why would you describe somebody as an employee? Remember, the key revelation I had is that everybody in my span of care is somebody's precious child. Mm-hmm. And we know for a fact, which I was, you know, as I told you, I was never taught, never heard, that the way we treat those people in our span of care profoundly affects their health more so than their family doctor, and profoundly affects the way they go home and treat those in their span of care, their spouse, their children, their parents, family members. So when I look pre-crisis at the issues we faced with full employment, I mean, virtually no unemployment, and a vibrant economy, we saw the highest level of anxiety and depression we've ever seen. Why? Because people don't feel cared for. They feel used Mm. and paid in theory, fairly, or they would change jobs. So they have jobs, they're making money, but they don't feel value. And that is, to me, much deeper, much more threatening than the virus. When people don't feel cared for, the number of suicides, anxiety and depression in kids, the impact on marriages and people's health, it makes this virus look nothing compared to Society where people don't feel cared for. Again, the virus is very specific and we can go in and look at it, but Jeffrey Pfeiffer at Stanford estimated that 120,000 people die a year in the United States of work-related stress. Okay? Work-related. Now, that's only the people that die, much less the people who have cancer, who survive it, or heart disease, or anxiety, depression. So, while Clearly, we should be focused on addressing this virus, which is a global issue. I believe it shouldn't mask the bigger issue we face because we have not learned to care for each other. We've learned to use each other mm. for our own personal success as opposed to caring for each other. And you know, we imagine a society where people think of others first, where people feel cared for and they therefore care for others. It's hard to care for others if you don't feel cared for yourself. So true. So true. So what are the invitations or opportunities to care for people around us now? Either those directly in our span of care or those that just cross our paths in their journey of navigating this crisis. Well, one of the things, Kevin, in my immediate span of care, that's always on my mind is the design of our business model. I wanted to design a business model. Collins talks about, in good to great, getting the right people on the bus. Remember, I probably told you before, I don't think it's a matter of getting the right people on the bus. I think it's a matter of building a safe bus, which is your business model. And then having drivers who know how to drive that bus safely and know where they're going. And then anybody that gets on the bus is going to be fine. So my main concern is, in terms of my immediate span of care, 12,000 people around the world who have put their trust in our leadership, that I validate that through the challenging times and show them that we have built a safe bus Mm. for care. Now, just because our 12,000 people are safe doesn't mean tens of millions of people who will lose their job, lose their source of income, threaten their family because of the loss of a job that we don't feel cared for. But if we create 
more caring companies, which I feel that we are through our initiatives, through Chapman and Co. Leadership Institute, I believe when people feel cared for, when other people are in need, we won't need nonprofits to go help them. We will all naturally help each other because we feel cared for ourselves and we naturally care for others. Right now, we need very well-intentioned nonprofits to go out and help pockets of people because most people don't feel cared for. And most people are going to let the nonprofit care for those in need as opposed to all of us. I somewhat jokingly tell people in the nonprofit field, my hope is to put you out of business because my hope is that we create a society where we genuinely care for each other and we don't need nonprofits to care for each other. We all will care for each other. That is the society I imagine and I hope for in the time I have left on this earth. Hmm. So let's go deeper into this conversation of care. You now call it truly human leadership. How you lead at Barry Waymiller and how you're influencing and inspiring others to lead through Chapman & Co. So for those not familiar, that may not be familiar with the term truly human leadership, how do you describe or define it to others? Well, originally, Kevin, through the series of revelations, I called it people-centric leadership. Mm-hmm. Leadership centered on the people we had the privilege of leading. But Simon Sinek, who is one of our biggest advocates, we're very close now through this journey of trying to create a more caring world. Simon, who's an anthropologist, said to us one day, probably eight or nine years ago, Bob, this is not people-centric leadership. This is truly human leadership. This is the way we are called to live and work together where people genuinely care for each other. So we shifted to truly human leadership, which is leadership focused on the people that we have the privilege of leading. You remember one time I was interviewed by some university organizational development professors, and after probably an hour, hour and a half interview, they said to me, Mr. Chapman, CEO we've ever interviewed that never talked about his product. And I said, I've been talking about a product for the last hour and a half. It's our people. I will not go to my grave proud of the machinery we build for our customers. I will go to my grave proud of the people who designed and built and brought this machinery to our customers. Our product is our people. The economic model we pick is kind of academic. Mm. It is one that gives people a chance to develop their gifts and share their gifts and go home feeling appreciated for their gifts. That is my focus. So truly human leadership is focused on creating an environment for people to discover their gifts, develop their gifts, share their gifts, and go home each night feeling that for their part of creating something for the greater good of the organization and people in the organization and customers and society. That is what I believe truly human leadership is, focused on the people, not the products, not the numbers. Mm. We want to show, Kevin, there's no question in our mind, because I quite often get asked, how do you justify these investments? And I say, I don't. Okay? How do you justify not caring? I believe without a question that we are trying to validate and are validating that you can create human value and economic value in harmony. They're not in disharmony. Okay? You shouldn't look at things you do to care for people as an expense. Okay? You should look at that is a fundamental obligation to the people that you've invited into your organization so that they can be who they're intended to be towards the common goal of the organization, as long as that works for you and the organization. So now you were trained as an accountant, if I remember. Yes. Remember, the greatest compliment somebody gave me was they can't believe I was an accountant. That's right. Because most accountants, I believe, would classify all of that as expense. Right. Right. Well, remember, even though my education is accounting, I was only in public accounting at Pricewaterhouse for a couple of years, and then I got into my own leadership development in the family business, which my dad gave me the liberty to develop my own skills. Mm. And so the first 20 years of my career, I started with a very broken historic company that didn't have much in the future. And I tried to give our organization through class business strategy, you know, things you learn in business school to give it a better future. And uh, I did that well, but then I had those revelations that you realize that 
it came to the point where I understood that it's really about the people. It's not about the product. It's not about the number. It's about the people. Now you need a healthy business. You cannot be good to your people unless you have a good business, okay? Because if you have a failed business, you are going to hurt your people. If you don't design the bus well, mm. bus crashes, it will hurt the people in that bus. So our goal is, it was clearly through these series of revelations, to focus on creating a future for the people we had the privilege of leading and giving people the skills and the courage to care as opposed to use people for financial success. I'm pausing. There are two ways I want to go. One, let's talk about the skills and the courage to care. What are some of those? The most fundamental skill is listening. I had no idea that as adults that we didn't really have the skills for empathetic listening. I thought listening was pretty much hearing somewhat what you're saying, but preparing my answer to what you halfway through say, because I pretty much know what you're going to say. So the biggest revelation we had in this journey, because we realized we couldn't ask managers to become leaders. We can't ask somebody speaking English to speak Chinese, and they say, okay, we need to get the skills to speak Chinese. You know, we made a decision to create a university to give people the skills to transform from managing people to leading people. And the fundamental skill was empathetic listening. The second fundamental skill was recognition and celebration. When we raise kids, we know that if we don't compliment our kids five times more than we suggest things that could be better, that it's difficult for them to hear that. So we had this intense focus on developing from a clean sheet of paper what it means to be a leader who cares about people. And we then created teaching content and exercises. And we saw a tremendous emotional reaction to people when they saw what it was like to be a leader as opposed to a manager. So that was a big change for us. When we realized that you can't just ask somebody to be a leader. You can't say, you can't listen to Bob's podcast and say, okay, now let's go be leaders. It takes learning and the fundamental is listening and celebration and communication. In other words, looking for the goodness in people and having a good business model to ensure that the people in your span of care. So there's a lot of attributes that we needed to teach. That's why we became Start University, which then led to us creating Chapman & Co., where we go out and help other companies join us in this journey to be more caring world. So one of your lines that I love, and you shared it a few moments ago a little differently than I had captured it from something else you had said, how we lead has a profound impact on how those entrusted to us live. How we lead has a profound impact on how those entrusted to us live. Unpack that a little bit, please, sir. I, in my undergraduate degree in accounting, my MBA from Michigan, my experience in Pricewaterhouse and business. I don't recall ever been taught or experienced that the way I would run my business, the way I would lead our organization would affect people's health mm. and would affect the way they would go home and treat their spouse, their kids, their community, their family. And so to me, business was business, and your personal life is your personal life. And you know, I was a nice guy, but you know, business was business. Mm. And when we learned along this journey, for example, we have, in many ways, we have a healthcare crisis, not just the virus, but you know, the cost of healthcare, the issues of depression, anxiety. And yet we find out that people who love what they're doing, love the company they work for, love what they're doing, have 40% fewer healthcare claims. Mm. And one of the leading medical institutions told us that the person you report to at work is more important to your health than your family doctor. How many people in this world are promoted to a position of leadership and are given the skills to treat the people in a way in which they will live healthier and fuller lives? I guarantee you, no one is, okay? And the second thing is, it never occurred to me that the way I would deal with people in my span of care would affect the way they would go home and treat their spouse, their kids, family. But when we started teaching people to be leaders, not managers, they didn't come and tell us that they ran a better accounting department or sales department. They came and told us, my relationship with my wife has never been better. My husband has never been better. 
and my teenage daughters are talking to me. Those are quotes. And I said, what? 95% of the feedback when we teach people to be leaders is how it affects their marriage and their relationship with their kids and their family and their community. So that's why I say, Kevin, business could and should be the most powerful force for good in the world because we have people in our care for at least 40 hours a week, every week. And the way we treat them will profoundly affect their health, their family life, our communities, anxiety, depression, and all those other issues. So the core of the issues we face is we haven't learned to care for people. We've learned to been taught to use people for our success. Mm. For management, the word management means, in my view, the manipulation of others for your success. Mm. Is the stewardship of the lives entrusted to you. Yeah. Yeah. So two questions here that I want to ask. The first one, what does truly human leadership look like in the face of crises like coronavirus? Well, it starts with fundamental responsibility to both the individual and the organization because, honestly, you can't just say I'm going to do the right thing for the people without considering the impact it makes on the business because we provide people with basic levels of income, security, and some feeling safe as much as we can. Now, again, if you're in the hotel industry and your occupancy is down to 10%, which is what I heard major hotels are to, that is an order of magnitude of crisis is beyond the best business model in the world. Now, our model is designed in a way in which we can protect our people. In other words, a robust business model was tested in the 08 or 09 economic downturn when we let anything, nobody fail. And I would say to you, as of today, we're preparing for our board meeting next week, we believe that given what anybody would consider a reasonable curve of this virus and the economic environment post-crisis that we can get through this and remain committed to our 12,000 team members and their future. That is our assessment. So what does truly human leadership look like? It begins focusing on the people in your span of care, okay? And the organization, because the organization is an important part of their health, okay? If we lean to the side of just trying to care for the people and the organization fails, we've hurt all 12,000 people. So it's really like everything else. It is, there's an old joke in a restaurant in Colorado that says, when you walk in, it says, quality, price, and service, pick any two. Oh, no, I'd really like those. So you can't just say it's just about the people. You can't say it's just about the company. It's about both. And how do you assess that in a way? We had a senior executive of a major cruise line call us last week and say, we read your book. We love the way you dealt with the 09 crisis. Facing an unprecedented crisis, how can we embrace true human leadership in addressing the catastrophic impact that the cruise industry is experiencing right now. And I said, that is a great challenge. And we talked through it. We try to talk to, because you got to kind of see what, how it's going to look like when you come out of it and how the organization is going to survive. And then how you can deal with the human side of that in, in a compassionate, caring way, just as much committed to the people. In that case, they're probably going to have to let some people go. But how do you do with that with compassion and consideration so that the people in stay feel that they've helped the people that are not able to stay as much as the organization. So there's no one way to deal with this because every business model is unique and different. Every organization is different. But I would say to you, truly human leadership looks at both the organization's health and the people's health and leading with it in a positive way. Basically showing, I care about you we are going to get through this together. In our case, I believe we will. In other cases, I don't know how they can avoid not making some traumatic temporary part-time. You know, it depends on the situation, but it's going to challenge the best of businesses right now. Yeah. So without getting into details about the cruise conversation, do you feel they left with some hope? Well, the person we're dealing with certainly gave us some good feedback. I think there's 
facing a catastrophic challenge. And I mean, cruise lines are probably between cruise lines and airplane. Now, I think people will travel on an airplane before they're going to get on a cruise ship. I suspect, given what's happened in the news. So I, I believe we gave this person some tools to help in the leadership team to shape the conversation in a caring way. Caring for the people as much that you're not going to be able to keep with you, as well as the people you are. So people that you keep almost help the people that you're not. Because, you know, it never occurred to me in the old, you know, prior to touring leadership, that when we would do a, a layoff or whatever, you know, I could calculate if you let 10 people go and they make $10,000, it's just $100,000. What you can't calculate is the collateral damage to the people that stay as much as the impact on the people that live. It's usually looked at as simply economics because we almost isolate ourselves from the human side because it would hurt so badly, okay? So I would say you really have to look at both very thoughtfully. And again, that's the worst situation I know of because I don't know what it looks like six months, nine months from now with people booking cruises given the publicity cruises have had and the typical age of people that go on cruises, I think it is probably the single biggest challenge. And I'm not sure the government is going to bail out cruise ships. I, you know, I don't know. I doubt it. But uh, again, these are unprecedented times. And you know, I think we need to stand up as leaders and balance those things we have to balance as best we can under the individual circumstances we find ourselves in. So another question about this crisis. Do you have hope? that we rekindle caring that continues beyond the crisis? Well, I'm not sure that the crisis will have as much damage on caring because I think it's been a catastrophic global crisis and it's affected broad industries that have been pretty resilient to this in the past. And so I'm not sure. I don't have any more information than you do in terms of what's public. I think it will be an intensely challenging couple of months, followed by an exceptionally interesting recovery curve that looks pretty significant with the amount of money that the governments and the Fed have talked about throwing at the economy to try and get us through this. So how Banks will deal with the industries that they led to that have been catastrophically damaged. How the government will go in and help those, I don't know. I don't think people will, because of the nature of the virus, I think in the 0809 financial collapse, I think that was particularly sad because it was, you know, banks got way out over their ski tips in the real estate business. You know, we're lending mortgages just dramatically, I mean, just without proper collateral. That was an air of greed. You know, to me, that was caused by just almost ungrounded greed in terms of people actually buying houses before they're built to flip them. I mean, that was just poor judgment around. And I think this virus is a completely different mm. yeah. challenge. If you try to say... Who are you going to blame? I think you could blame the banks, the realtors, you know, whatever, for the last crisis. Or the dot-com for the massive speculation on the B2B and B2C. This is a uniquely different one. So I think you could have people come out of it feeling it was once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, experience. I mean, I had no idea, Kevin, that in the 1918 Spanish flu, that 500 million people were infected. And between 50, 17 and 50, they can't quite tell because of data, between 20 and 50 million people died. Yeah. I mean, I thought World War I was bad. That sounded like it was much worse than the wars. I just don't remember studying Spanish flu in my education. I remember the wars. So I don't know that we're going to come out with as much damage to individuals as to our kind of economic system that's been really damaged by the severity and depth of this. You know, when you're virtually shutting business down around the world, that is unprecedented, right? Unprecedented. Telling people to stay home. 
looking at the streets of New York, empty, airplanes parked along. I mean, these are unprecedented times, and I don't know that people will have, they may try to be angry at somebody, but I'm not sure where you would focus. Well, so before we conclude, I want to ask a couple of questions. You recently wrapped up the first leg of the Truly Human Leadership World Tour. Yeah. That just been scheduled a few days later. It might not have happened. Oh, I think one week later. I mean, I gave 15 speeches in five days. Yeah. Every venue was full to overflow in universities and business centers. And I found just as a speaker, you can kind of look at your audience and see what level of attention you've got, whether they're looking at their iPhones or. Right. And clearly, this message of caring is a universal message that appealed in every venue I spoke at, to every age group, from students to professors to business leaders to community leaders. And the response was overwhelming to me. So you're right. We were in Spain. We were in Serbia. We were in Switzerland. We were in Scotland. And we never even talked about the virus. Hmm. I think it was... That was one week before the pandemic was declared. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, and, but we never even talked about it. And nobody who was on our tour has been affected. So I would say to you that I think it was meant to be. I mean, how could it be that A, all those universities lined up and those business centers lined up to make sure that they could fit into our schedule so we could go from Edinburgh to Madrid to Barcelona to Belgrave to Zurich to St. Albans. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And without a hitch and without, and so we planted a lot of seeds of caring. Mm. Obviously the viruses created kind of a, a shadow over that. Yeah. My hope is if China is any indicator that we will see this curve sometime in the next month, bend in the other direction. And it will begin to start trying, what does the new normal look like? You know. Mm. And what is the impact? What have we learned from this virus? Because I think uh, Bill Gates gave a talk in, in uh, 2015 about the next big issue is a global virus crisis. And he actually predicted, I think, exactly what happened. So yeah. were we prepared for it? I don't know if we were. I don't know how to judge whether you can prepare for a global virus. It's that hidden enemy that's hard. So... I think we're very blessed to be able to plant these seeds. I think those seeds were in, in healthy soil. And I think when things get back to normal, and I think I gave 20 speeches last year, and I gave 20 speeches in the first six weeks of this year. And we had a whole series of them that have now been put off indefinitely, obviously, until it's safe and to gather in groups and, and people feel comfortable and kind of getting back to normal. So, but again, we are continuing to convey our message and, we hope we continue as a company to live these principles to show that this is not an academic theory. Is we're sharing what we are actually doing, and this test may be another test of the strength of and resilience of this truly human leadership, which is what I hope. Hmm. So, as you reflect on that week, and as you've had the opportunity to reflect on it through the lens of the virus. Are there experiences or encounters that linger, that give you hope? Yeah, I was at a some business association in Barcelona. And some historic, magnificent building. That, and as I walked into this beautiful kind of mini theater where I was going to give my speech, this wonderful lady that, was in charge of the event, said, Mr. Chapman, we normally get 80 people to our talks where we have some great speakers. 400 people have signed up for the speech. And I was profoundly touched that here this simple accountant from North St. Louis, who comes over with no notoriety, draws that level of interest and then the reaction of the crowds to the message. I also was touched in Edinburgh because while I remember the name Adam Smith, I don't remember much about it. You know, it's been a long time ago. But in his wealth of nations, it turns out that many of the things we talk about, the people who 
who are the curators of Adam Smith's legacy, I mean, they virtually wanted me to stand by his Wealth of Nations book, holding my book, Everybody Matters, because they felt there was so much alignment. That was profoundly meaningful to me, that that alignment with Adam Smith 300 years ago. The fundamental principles that have stood the time of 300 years that came up through truly in the leadership. So I would say to you, we were incredibly encouraged, incredibly hopeful that this message is going to continue yeah. to spread around the world. And I was also particularly touched because in my lifetime, Kevin, we've always had issues with Russians. The Russians are always the evil empire. And I remember as a kid hiding under the desk for fear of Russians in schools. And over Christmas holidays, a Russian customer of ours who's got 2,000 employees in Moscow, who bought a machine from us in the United States, a big machine to make corrugated material. He sent us a picture of this big machine in his plant in Moscow. And in front of the machine, he was standing holding my book, Everybody Matters. Mm. I told him, his name was Stefan. I said, Stefan, you give me hope for world peace. Mm. That while we have problems at the political level, at the human level, we're all very deeply connected to our roots, and we simply want to be cared for and care for others. Mm. It gives me hope. So, Bob, I want to read something from the opening of your book. It's not words you wrote, but it's words you love as we draw this to a close. Okay. Walk with the dreamers, the believers, the courageous, the cheerful, the planners, the doers, the successful people with their heads in the clouds and their feet on the ground. Let their spirit ignite a fire within you to leave this world better than when you found it. Wilford Peterson. How would you like to close our time together, this conversation? Well, first of all, I could not say anything more beautifully than that quote that you just read, which we have hanging up all over the place because walk with the belief, dreamers and the believers to give us a sense of hope. I think we are called as leaders to give those people in our communities, our country, a sense of hope that business organizations, educational organizations, health organizations, where we have people in our care, we can profoundly create the world that we are intended to live where people care for each other and therefore have lives of meaning and purpose in service of others. That is the world that I imagine. That is the world captured in that quote. That is the world we are trying, inspiring to live in our global organization with 12,000 people. I have never been more hopeful and more convinced that we were blessed with the message that could profoundly change the world as we know it, where people genuinely feel cared for and return home and care for those that they have the privilege of leading in their personal lives. That is my hope. Thank you for joining us, Bob. I'm grateful for the time we've had. Thank you, Kevin. And I hope your listeners will join us in this movement as we emerge from this crisis so we can, again, get back to the business of caring. And obviously, caring during the crisis is intense, but obviously, once we get through that, which we will, that we get back to our growth as caring leaders so that people start treating others as they want to be treated, as they need to be treated, as they want to be treated. So anyway, I have great hopes right now. And the world tour was amazing that we got it in and out in time before the virus. So where do we point people who are wondering what's the next step I could take on my journey? Well, I tell people all the time, obviously we have a blog post where we're trying to capture these blog posts is growing significantly. We have the TED, animated TED Talk, which gives people a chance to share in the organization. We have the book that we are now going to, by this fall, hopefully have a, a second edition of the book, which continues to sell globally around the world. And again, on YouTube, there are a number of our talks. I think everybody's got to think about the world as they see it. They try to listen to this message and see how it resonates with your heart and your purpose in life. And then we're trying to find the early adopters, the people who believe what we believe and want to join us in this journey to show that we can have a world where everybody matters. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate your interest in our message. Wow. I am grateful for Bob's graciousness and your generosity to join us now and share your heart.
your care, and your truly human leadership. Hopefully between the time I record this and the time you hear it, we've made some headway against this unprecedented crisis. It is clear that we have a long road to recovery ahead of us. And I hope that, as Bob said, that somehow you are able to keep your feet on solid ground and lift your vision to see beyond this crisis. And that because of that, you're able to be a voice of reason, a source of hope for those you lead. Many of you, well, let's make that us, are making hard decisions, decisions that affect the lives and futures of many others. And I love Bob's perspective of truly human leadership, that even when you are called upon to make hard decisions and deliver tough news, you can still cloak that news with care. It doesn't have to be harsh. As I said a moment ago, we need truly human leadership now more than ever. I want to invite you, as Bob said, I love the phrase he used, to do your part for those in your span of care. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, span of care? And then I'm going to bounce back and say I love the way Bob answered my question about gratitude, that all these years later, he's still grateful for the gift of unearned trust given him by his father in the early days of taking the helm of the Barry Waymiller Company. So who can you give the gift of unearned trust to now? You know, I always love hearing from you, and you have an open invitation to reach out and to connect with me. You can do that by emailing me at kevin at higherpurposepodcast, or you can call or text me at 678-744-5111. Keep your hope strong, and find your gratitude. Thank you for being a difference maker. If you're like most of us, you're adjusting to new realities every day, possibly even several times in the same day. There's plenty of fear, panic, and paranoia filling the airwaves. There's also an abundance of good if you remember to look for it. That's why we've launched the Find Your Gratitude community. The good is out there, and we'll show you where to look. Join Kevin Monroe and Chester Elton in the Find Your Gratitude community. Go to findyourgratitude.community to join us. That's findyourgratitude.community.